Welcome to Permaweb Pioneers. We feature individuals, companies, projects, and more building on the Permaweb, a global, decentralized, and community-owned web built on top of Arweave. The hosts of this podcast and their guests are not registered investment advisors. All opinions of the hosts and the guests are their own. Nothing discussed on this podcast can be relied upon for investment decisions, nor is it investment advice. This podcast is solely for entertainment and informational purposes. All right, so in this episode, we have Sam Sens of Glass Protocol, aka Glass.xyz. Uh, welcome, Sam. I'm so glad you're able to make this happen, and uh, it'll be great to talk all things Glass. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really excited to kick off Permaweb Pioneers. All right, sweet. All right, so on your website, Glass.xyz, you have this epic manifesto. And there are so many layers within this manifesto that we can probably talk about for days. Um, and we'll get into a number of these topics. I figured I'd just start with sharing the last kind of bit of it um, and then kind of just hear what you think and how you think about these components um, as you share more details about glass. So in this kind of last bit of your manifesto, it states... Join us in building a new video platform, one that is financially sustainable, accessible to anyone, and owned by everyone. One that is transparent to who and how everyone benefits in the economy we create together. As transparent as glass. Free the creators. There's so much <laughs> in here, and it, it feels so powerful and audacious, frankly. I'm just kind of curious of your response to that. I mean, how did, how did this come to fruition? How did this vision, how did this intention arise for you? Yeah, definitely. Well, I guess before getting into it, I want to just, you know, shout out my co-founder Varun. Um, mm. He actually wrote those lines that you read oh, uh, nice. and they're really powerful. So I feel uh, he really should deserve the credit for that. But regarding, um, you know, how we're thinking about just kind of like creators and web three in general, uh, we believe in a better future. I mean, fundamentally, so many people want to be video creators. We're seeing this trend where uh, more, at least Americans, United States uh, children want to be like YouTubers and video creators than they want to be astronauts. Maybe that's changing with SpaceX and all of this, but there's clearly this massive demand to create and to express uh, yourself online through video. Um, the reason video is so important is because it's one the most accessible medium. You don't need to read in order to watch a video. You can literally learn how to read from videos. Um, and also the other thing is it's just very, um, it's very engaging. It's rich content that uh, just like stimulates so many different senses, not only visually, but also auditory. And um, it's just like extremely uh, expressive. You can feel so much through watching a video. Um, so we think that's really important for like kind of breaking into Web3 and, and helping transition more people into like a decentralized future. We wanna meet them where they are. Uh, so that's kind of why we're focused on video at a high level. Um, and then regarding 
financial sustainability um, and being open to everyone and owned by everyone, um, video on the internet is not a public good, but it should be. So many people watch videos, like literally half of the internet's bandwidth goes directly towards like video streaming, half, literally half of the internet's bandwidth. Um, that's, that's like so powerful. So many people watch videos. Um, and it, it really is in the space where I think like video technology and, and video archiving should exist for everyone and be owned by everyone. Um, regarding like the financial sustainability component of that, uh, we really want to find ways to uh, help everyone profit. So like virtuous cycles. And I think that's very resonant to, um, you know, Sam and the Arweave community, you know, building these profit sharing communities, but actually figuring out ways to sustain over centuries. So we're, we're not trying to just create a video platform. Um, we're trying to create a protocol and, and keep that you know, that video, all of that, all of those videos alive for, for centuries to come and also help not only the creators, but the people that, you know, enjoy the content also prosper. Uh, so it kind of gets into like UBI and, um, you know, just unlocking new ways to express uh, and own and share like what you care about. Yeah. Wow. So as far as videos representing, you know, more than half of the internet bandwidth, um, and it being such an important medium and increasingly so, uh, it just makes a lot of sense that we want to keep these things around. And there's so much link rot. There's so many things that are taken down from YouTube, et cetera. And we can get into that a little later on. Um, one thing you did mention, and I'm, I'm interested in learning a little bit more about yourself, is this notion of like many individuals, most of which, you know, are like younger or whatever, they want to be YouTubers or they want to be video, you know, vloggers or whatever. Right. And they want to do that possibly more than being an astronaut. And you from your Twitter profile come from NASA. So you're from, <laughs> you're from NASA and then you're going and creating glass. Um, can you kind of share a little bit more about that transition and, and how you're thinking about this for yourself? Yeah, totally. Um, so I guess what I was doing uh, for them specifically, we were exploring new materials. So uh, the projects that I worked on, we would actually simulate a lack of gravity uh, on Earth and we would create new materials. So like uh, ceramic coatings, for instance, or, you know, glasses, like new glasses that have never been seen. So I actually worked literally in material science studying glass for two years right out of high school. Um, and you know, that's amazing work. And we got to like send things to the space station and work at a national lab and all of these like amazing opportunities. But also I, I really felt like I lacked the, um, like tangible impact. Uh, so you're doing like deeply applied science, um, and you're writing a paper that, you know, maybe a couple hundred people read. If you're really brilliant, uh, you like come up with this new material that changes the world. Um, and, you know, that has a massive impact. But personally, I was like really lacking that human element. Um, and glass is just kind of like tying all these different interests together for me. You know, like on the technology front, it's it's definitely applied research. Like we're pushing the bounds of what's, you know, what is possible uh, regarding just like decentralized video and making the tech work. Um, so it is kind of like applied research. And also like from, uh, you know, game theory slash econ perspective, we are, we're also trying to be very like experimental. So uh, come up with a hypothesis, uh, build it as quickly as possible, and then 
test it in the real world, collect data, and then use that to foster our next decision. So like we really view like the, the product as it is right now as like an experimental apparatus that will just continue to iterate until we find something that, that works and that is sustainable. Um, but the reason for like moving towards video, actually, I worked for NASA, but before that in high school, I was actually in art school. I, I, for high school, I, I literally was in an art school. Um, I was studying like basically music and film. Um, and the only way to be a rebel in art school is to, to go into STEM. So uh, my rebellious self was actually like going to labs and, and such, but I was, I was attending an art school. Um, so for me, like Glass is this hybrid of, you know, doing applied research, but also like tapping back in with that really artistic creative side. Um, and I've been really fascinated with decentralized technology for the last uh, three years. And so it's just like bringing together all these, you know, interests. So it's just really the synergy of like, yeah, myself in a way. Um, and obviously like the team and the community could not do it without them. Yeah. And, and it seems another layer to this, this word glass that is so fitting is that so many of us are interacting with these videos on glass and it's the human touch point, right? This is, these are the, the devices in which we're touching glass to have this human exchange, this emotional, rich video experience. And so I think, it, yeah, it seems to really elegantly align all of these components from your research to then the methodology in which you're, you know, applying this research into this Web3, you know, new video platform to the experience that each individual human has, at least on their phones, of like touching glass and that being this medium of exchange of emotion. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for sharing a little bit more about the kind of why glass. Um, and it's uh, it's pretty surprising that there's there's that much packed in to the name. Um, that was a really beautiful way of um, like bringing those ideas together. Wow. Like I, I've actually never thought of it in that way, like the, the human touch point and that we're interacting through glass. That's a really beautiful way of phrasing it. That was yeah, stunning. Um, yeah. My, my co-founder Dio says uh, like the window to the world. Mm. And I kind of love that. Like mm -hmm. in a way, mm -hmm. video is this window into so many different worlds uh, that people live. Um, and it's a really powerful force for like driving empathy. Mm. We don't really talk about this in like Web3, I feel like. But, you know, there's so much like potential to change how we empathize and feel for others because we're aligning incentives. Yeah. And that sort of empathetic resonance, if you will, is also about the economic sustainability. You know, I think that there's this there's this layer of a great exchange and having a great UI, UX, um, and delivering great emotional experiences for the moment. And the moment changes and it can fade and someone can be left with something that maybe isn't really going to help them out moving forward. And one thing I'm interested in, in kind of exploring is this notion that videos are records of knowledge and culture for future generations and your utilization of Arweave to perpetually store and serve these images uh, or these, you know, moving images rather um, and videos going forward. Like, how do you think about these, these records of knowledge and, and culture for future generations as like that in itself as this economic utility, um, of course, beyond the, the social and, and so on. Um, are you familiar with the the golden record by chance? Have you heard of the the golden record? 
Um, I guess for the for the listeners that haven't, there's this uh, there's this literally it's it, like a a gold plated record, um, like twelve inches, and it was sent on the Voyager, oh, actually yeah. out into out into space. Um, and I feel like that's such a fitting analogy because like you know we're putting like all of these cultural things on this record. It's gold plated. That's kind of the economic aspect, and we're sending it to space, kind of like for life that's outside of just humans. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just really think that like exactly what you're saying, archiving content is super important. Um, have you ever, like, there's this book called Snow Crash and like one of the jobs of the future is literally just in this like science fiction world is literally just like taking video content of the world and like archiving it, sharing it with the rest of the, the community, the rest of the world. Um, I don't know like what direction this will morph, uh, but I think that like the ability to just be very transparent and share kind of like the things that we struggled with at different points in time um, and being able to like really empathize with those, those individuals over the long term will have a, a really profound impact on how we think about approaching the future. You know, looking to the past is oftentimes really, really uh, useful when you're trying to like develop new technologies or push the forefront of human knowledge. Um, so I, yeah, I kind of hope that like, long long past uh glasses as a company and and like even my own life and your life that people are looking back and kind of like learning from previous generations yeah you know i think you make an important point um and i guess this is my interpretation of what you've just shared which is it's obvious we need to save this stuff it seems obvious to me i mean it's like these are this is this is an emotional medium the amount of human energy being put into the filming, the production and all of this into videos is just like literally like astronomical and it just needs to be saved. And what I find what's so fascinating is that for many, it's not obvious that this isn't happening. Like currently there aren't really that great of ways, that great, you know, methodology to enable multi-generational video content and when did this kind of aha come to you? Was it finding Arweave or did you already have the vision for this and you found Arweave and you're like, wait a second, this is a really great pairing? Um, wow, okay. So to be fully candid, um, Glass started out as a passion project. Like simply seeing whether it was possible. Actually the history of Glass is uh, around Christmas of 2020, uh, we were we were actually like collectively Dialverin and I thinking about you know the creator economy and how to like create sustainable business models, and uh, we had just like just a, a little backstory. We were working on a consumer social app, uh, and we're like deeply inspired by TikTok, uh, specifically Alex Zhu. He's like my favorite founder, super brilliant. He's like ridiculously scientific when it comes to thinking about like social engineering and like building kind of good products. Uh, which I found to be like really re just resonated with me. Um, but learning from him, it's just like so obvious that video is like the richest medium that we have. It's it's one of the most information dense mediums that's like widely accessible. So like going into that specifically, um, there's AR and there's like gaming. And I think that'll definitely like expand and be super huge, but it's not that accessible right now. Um, if you go to India or you go to Africa, um, these people don't have VR rigs, but they might have a smartphone. 
Um, and, and that's why it's so accessible. So I think like in the context of building an accessible, but also information dense uh, like platform and protocol, video is the sweet spot. So really like the inspiration for using video was kind of like a second thought. It was like, let's think about how to build sustainable economic models. And then, oh, video is like clearly what we should pursue. Um, just from like reading on TikTok and kind of studying the space. Uh, so uh, yeah, initially Glass was just a passion project. We are like, yo, is this even possible? Like, can we even do this? Uh, we started building on IPFS, uh, didn't work very well. Like we were able to do just straight MP4s, uh, like normal video files, but you know, like the playback wasn't great. It would lag, it was kind of slow. Um, and honestly, picking up Arweave happened really late. So we were working on this tech for like months and months and months and months. And then maybe two months ago, we were like, yo, let's just get something out really quick. You know, we need data, we need data points, we need to like ship something. Um, so let's just do something really quick. And in that instant, we were like, you know what, let's try Arweave. Like, let's just see what happens. Like, let's just upload this to Arweave and see what happens. And we did that. And it worked like beautifully. And that was just a turning point. We we're like, oh my God, we're never going back. Like we don't have to worry about pinning. Like this is just so great. Uh, and like the ability also of, of not having to worry about pinning is super big for us because uh, we're not really like as liable to, to like maintain that content. And I think that's really important. Like we never want to actually be like paying funds to maintain the life cycle of that content. We want it to exist. Uh, publicly forever, uh, and are we like just so clearly solves that problem? Um, so it was it was kind of an afterthought. Definitely didn't have like the vision. We're figuring this out as we go, to be honest. Um, and then just trying to like use our intuition and data to make good decisions. Um, but yeah, using Arwe was honestly one of the best things that could have happened a couple of months ago. Wow. And on that note, I'm just out of curiosity. After the integration with Arweave. Did that kind of set off this this notion and this interest of generational video and you know century long or multiple century long thinking, or was that kind of already embedded in your interests and intention? Uh, oh, I see. Sorry, I might have been a little tangential there. Um, I've I've kind of like been raised with this mindset of, of generational thinking. Um, this is, I guess, a little personal. I don't know if people will find this interesting, but um, my dad actually, he lived with the Blackfeet. Uh, it's a tribe of um, Native Americans, uh, indigenous people. And they they actually have this this mindset of, of like, seven, it's, it's called seven generation thinking, where you're trying to think like seven generations into the future. And that was really installed in me from like a very young age. Uh, so I think maybe without intention, but subconsciously it was always there. Uh, also just, you know, like building decentralized technology, the dream is that it's, you know, forever. Um, but we were kind of like limited by the technology with IPFS. We were trying to like jerry-rig it and make it work and then build like a sustainable economic model um, where like, you know, glasses of Dow could forever pay the pinning costs and Arweave just like beautifully solves this for us. Wow, that well, I appreciate you sharing that uh, that that personal detail um, regarding your your dad and uh, and the experience there of of seven seven generation thinking. Um, so, on a little bit of a different note, you've at Glass, you know, you all have have you know shared uh, a few videos, um, one film as of recent, 
some kind of like artistic type of music, 3D, I don't know exactly how you define it, um, experiences. And I'm just curious, like, what are these collaborations like with the artists? How are you seeking these artists out? How are you presenting Glass? And what's their response been like thus far? Yeah, there's definitely a mix of different types of artists. Um, luckily, the ones that we've worked with, they're they're really good vibes. I think like there's kind of two types of artists. There's like the artists that really understand the value of crypto and like building community, um, more community minded artists. And then there's like definitely a lot of cash grabby artists. Um, I'm a little hesitant to say this publicly, but I'll just talk about it. Um, we try to avoid working with people that are like cash grabby, uh, just cause you know, we want to build like an authentic community and then help other creators build authentic communities around themselves. And a lot of the times the best artists already kind of have that community, um, built in and they're, they're really conscious of it. So regarding like working with the artists, typically, uh, my co-founder Dio, he, he happens to know a lot of like really interesting creatives specifically in New York, um, We've actually gotten like all of our artists because of Dio um, and his amazing network. But yeah, typically we'll just like invite them over. We'll talk to them, kind of make a plan how we're going to go about it. And then we've just been like white gloving the process of onboarding them and, and doing everything somewhat manually. Um, but that's a really great experience because we've, we've learned so much from doing it that way. Um, I think rushing into like a self-serve platform is not necessarily the best thing. You know, we're trying to go slow and like learn from everything we're doing and then feed that into, you know, the decisions that we make. So we've been going a little bit slower. You know, we haven't pushed a bunch of content, but we've been learning so much from it. Um, but a little like alpha, uh, we're actually very shortly going to open up the platform a little bit more. Um, we'll have like support for self-serve uh, live streaming and then shortly after that video. Um, so we'll kind of slowly open that up to, to artists and, and DAOs that have reached out. Um, so that's really exciting. You know, that'll be kind of like the next stage in our learning. Uh, we'll do that re like relatively slowly, maybe one or two creators at a time, um, just as we like learn and get our process down. Um, but yeah, I mean, working with them has been like inspiring in so many different ways, the way that they view uh, community. We've learned so much from that. Also the way that they view um, the creative process specifically we did one drop with it was actually like our first uh kind of really publicized drop with salem marley and she had this like amazing nft uh kind of sequence planned out um she did a music video and then she has uh very shortly she'll be dropping um like literally a, a game that was made for her uh for her her album uh like like a game boy game um, it's a physical game that you can play and there's an emulator that you can play online um, as well as uh, some like beautiful 3D graphics. Uh, she made a um, like a behind the scenes video that's playing on like a, a model of a G3 Mac, like an old school Mac. Um, and then she also had this cassette player. Uh, and this was like really kind of like the most stunning aspect of this drop. But she actually had like multiple takes, like 10 different takes to make the song that she had a music video for. So each cassette has a different, uh, like a different snippet of the tape. Um, and just like the thoughtfulness that went into that drop and, you know, just the way that she's thinking about building community, but also building these rich kind of like stories around the music that she's creating and her creative process, that was really inspiring. 
So like drops like that just get me super excited when like everything is coming together. You know, the video is coming together. The technology is coming together. The story is there. Like the community is there. Uh, it's those types of drops that like are just inspiring. It's amazing to work with these creative people. Yeah. And I'm curious, once these artists are in, are in contact with you and Glass, do they kind of light up at new possibilities? Does it yeah. influence their artistic kind of canvas, if you will? Yeah, totally. It's kind of like we get this amazing opportunity to to onboard someone to Web3 and crypto and, you know, the permaweb. Um, yeah, I mean, that that alone is like, it's just kind of like mind blowing as well. Like thinking a lot of these artists exist within these Web2 uh, like constructs, like, you know, or not Web2 per se, but like the, the, the model of a label or the model of, um, you know, going to a film production uh, like or going to like a production company and actually like raising funds for their video through a production company. And I think like these artists, when we work with them, the, the really big spark is that they're realizing they can do it sovereignly. Like they can maintain their sovereignty. They're not like selling their soul. They're actually just like using their community and leveraging their community. Um, and seeing that is like really inspiring and also just getting people into crypto is like super inspiring. Um, yeah. Awesome experience. A lot of people, yeah, that we've worked with, they just like realize the power kind of after the fact or, um, like in the middle of the process, but yeah. And I'm just curious regarding like after the fact that initial kind of drop and stuff, are you hearing from them? Like again, like, oh, hold on. Like I got another one that I want to drop or what's the the kind of vibe there as far as this new paradigm of thought and opportunity? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah, people talk. And the, the amazing thing is we're getting a ridiculous amount of referrals from these creators. So like they'll do a drop and then they'll talk to their friends and their friends will come talk to us. Uh, so like that's super powerful. I, I really want to like maintain that level of quality and like attention for every creator as much as we can as well. So like making sure that everyone has like this amazing experience. Um, but I think that's really powerful and it's kind of like a reputation thing as well. You know, we want to have a good reputation and we want to be like, like we want to graciously welcome these people into Web3 and make that experience really positive and, and easy. Um, but yeah, it's definitely like, super encouraging that they're telling their friends and you know everyone's kind of like everyone knows everyone um at least in new york uh like the creator scene everyone knows everyone so like word kind of trickles uh trickles through the network and one thing in your manifesto that i think aligns with this uh fundamentally is you know it's not about just getting views anymore it's about who views your video and how much they love what you do and so it seems like there's this thread and the thread is quality through and through. Like you're going through, you're having this kind of white glove experience, you know, you're 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 researching kind of every component and layer uh, deliberately and intentionally, it seems, right? And then you're utilizing this curative perspective to say, hey, like this is an artist that we want to bring on board. Um, how is that influencing the artist, I guess, in your opinion? Uh, is it, is it changing their views of themselves? Like they don't need to go out and get to get a bunch of views on this. It's just about one individual that views it. That's like in love with it. Um, that, you know, maybe purchases or whatever. 
Uh, have you seen any changes in maybe how they perceive themselves? Um, wow. Okay. So I guess to unpack that a little bit, there's definitely like the, the aspect that the perspective on, on views is changing. So let me just go into that really quickly. Like basically stream, like view count, like number of streams or the, the number of views, that's like such a bad metric. Um, you know, people love it just as you were saying, like love it in different ways and they're willing to like support creators in different ways. And the models we have right now don't support that at all. So if you stream something on, on Spotify, the artist makes a certain, like a fraction of a fraction of a penny every stream. And then if the same is true for, for viewing it on YouTube. Um, and I think one thing that's really interesting about like the kind of web three slash NFT movement is we're kind of, we're finding ways to unlock different uh, levels of demand. So at the very, like, the highest level of demand, maybe that's like a one of one NFT that someone buys. Um, and that's like a super fan, like the the most, the ultra fan, the person who really, really cares about that, that creator. Um, but then beneath that, there's like tiered editions or, uh, you know, like limited editions where it's slightly less expensive or it's, you know, significantly less expensive, but you're able to like sell more to people that are, that are fans. Um, and actually what's so cool about this model is it's, it's also like building identity around the pieces of content that you watch. So like, if you look at TikTok, uh, there's actually um, a feed that is like all the videos that you've liked. In a way, we're kind of building that in a more cri like crypto native way. So, um, you know, the NFTs that you collect or the limited editions that you collect, that's signaling, like I form my identity, even though it might be, you know, anonymous, uh, I'm forming my identity or my interest in culture um, around these different videos. Um, and then at the lowest level, you know, like, tipping, micro tipping or something like that. But we're really trying to figure out how to like fill in this demand curve for a piece of content. Um, to be fully like honest, we haven't cracked that. It's a really hard problem. And I think we'll always be kind of trying to iterate that and improve that process of capturing like the full demand curve for the creator. Um, but, you know, yeah, just trying to, I think like one thing that I'm really concerned with is like the, the long tails of creators. Not everyone has a super big following. So how do we actually create sustainability for creators that are just starting? Um, you know, that's that's a question that we haven't answered, but we're thinking about really consciously. Um, regarding like a change in mindset, I think one cool thing about uh, working with these creators, specifically, we worked with this guy, 27 Delhi. Um, he's awesome. He's like such a nice guy. Um, but what was really cool is like, we kind of saw the convergence of, you know, crypto native people and then also like his own community. Um, they're all kind of coming together. And I'm really interested in this like intersection of bringing like your existing fans from Web2 platforms and then also like helping them become more crypto native. And I think like that is kind of a key to onboarding, you know, a lot of people into the Web3 space, uh, you know, using like Web2 distribution um, but adding in like these web three elements and kind of trying to like onboard people and welcome them in. Um, and it allows like, you know, 27 Delhi's fans to express themselves more like crypto natively. Um, so playing with that kind of like that messy interface between web two and web three, I think in the future, we'll see that that actually kind of blends. Um, and the distinction between web two and web three, it's there, but it's also not there. Um, so yeah. And on that note of the distinction between Web 2 and Web 3 is not being there, I'm interested in just talking a little bit about the current state of Glass. 
So 4K is available today. Um, entire films up to three hours, right? Um, mobile. Uh, and what's next is like multi-chain. Um, where do you see this going? And we talk about Web 2 and Web 3 and almost reaching this parity of experience and then extending beyond it. Can you share a little bit about like the extension of the experience, augmenting the experience by way of glass? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so I guess like just coming up, features we have a homepage. Uh, yeah, we'll have a homepage. We'll have uh, creator profiles. Um, we finished a lot of the work for making it multi-chain. The reason for doing that is we want to be like kind of agnostic and and like meet the needs of any type of creator and any type of consumer. Um, and they don't all exist on one chain. Um, so we're trying to support, you know, be really flexible and be very experimental in how we're, we're thinking about the future. Um, regarding like the parity between web two and web three, I think there's actually like a lot of like symbiosis between the two. Right now, a lot of distribution happens on web two. Um, like look at going super viral on TikTok, look at, you know, Spotify making playlists, all of that. Um, and I think distribution is super important for crypto right now. And it's something that we don't do very well just yet. Um, so like the monetization aspect, I think is, you know, I don't know if NFTs are it, but I, the ability to like collectively fund work from your community is a really powerful idea. Um, but the thing that's kind of lacking is like helping those uh, creators bootstrap and get distribution and get like, you know, build their community. Um, so in the short term, I think what we'll see is like web using web two for distribution, but then like moving them onto web three, like moving everyone that is interested in that onto like more web three platforms. And if we make that seamless really, or that, sorry, that experience of going from web two to web three really seamless, um, that's a great on-ramp. Like there's, there's very little friction if we make that experience really easy. Um, so I'm really excited about that because of um, the ability to just onboard a lot of people into the space. Um, regarding extending that, I mean, we're kind of sitting on like the precipice of like a huge societal change. At least, I don't know like what your experience is like, but personally, it just kind of feels like we're sitting on this like monumental shift that's going to happen in the next couple of years where uh, the mindset mindset around like ownership and like expressing yourself and also being able to uh take your actions on one like on one place of the internet or one community of the internet and move it over to another community i think that's really powerful and it's also like a way more holistic experience that you have on the internet so right now you know i go to like instagram and i message my friends there and then i go to like tiktok and i watch some videos there um, but those two experiences aren't very unified like i'm not able to carry over um, the things that i do on instagram to tiktok and vice versa um, so the, regarding augmentation, I think that's like such a powerful idea. The ability of taking, you know, your experiences on one place uh, of the Internet, one corner of the Internet and moving it over to another community and like forming sub communities in the intersections. So like maybe I'm in Party DAO and I'm in um, Forefront and then I can find people that are in both. And maybe those are really actually my people because we share the same interests. Um, so I think like ultimately it comes down to fostering um, a better like relationship with the people that you communicate with and the people of the internet. Uh, and I think like web three has the power to actually bring these, these, uh, these people together um, based on like common interests or, you know, common NFTs, whatever that may be.
I'm curious in in exploring this this notion of decentralized identity, and there's been some posts uh, on your behalf and on Mirror's, or sorry, not on Mirror. Um, you also embed videos on Mirror um, on Glass's behalf of decentral IDs, um, and there's a quote that is shared you shared um that that I'd just like to read and then get your thoughts on how you're approaching decentral IDs or DIDs or however we want to call them uh and it and it's as follows by uh Henry Ford if you think of standardization as the best that you know today but which is to be improved tomorrow you get somewhere and this is in relation to the the metadata like proposal and the, from what I understand, uh, like a DID um, protocol uh, that that you all are building, can you speak to that a little bit and how that can augment yeah, totally. things? I'm a little, I'm a little thrown off. You're like referencing my GitHub, so I'm super surprised. Thank you for like going into doing all of this research. Um, yeah, wow. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I I, I actually try to like have quotes in every github repo that i that i make um i know it's like kind of weird but uh it just kind of like sets the tone and I, I love to just like think a little bit deeper about you know what we're trying to do um and the henry ford quote is like super poignant i think for for specifically like building metadata and building these standards um the space right now is like we're really early we're really really early uh and like DIDs are super new. They're ceramic, which is based on IPFS. Um, and there has been some interest in like DIDs, but it hasn't really hit like adoption. Um, and at least in my opinion, to my knowledge, it hasn't really been adopted. Um, so regarding like the DID spec, um, and for those listeners who like are unfamiliar with DIDs, uh, very simply, it's like a single identity for uh, your addresses and your accounts all over uh, across multiple blockchains. So it would be like one ID, like let's say it's like one, two, three, ABC, uh, would link to like uh, a couple of Ethereum addresses, would link to a couple of Solana addresses. Um, so the rationale with like the DID spec is to just like one, cut it as much as possible. So like simplify as much as possible, try to keep it as like as simple as possible so that we can extend it in the future. And then to um, actually use it. So uh, in our like upcoming update, basically every person will have a DID. Um, I'm not sure if it will be adopted outside of Glass, uh, but the goal is to like truly back up all of our data to Arweave, um, and we're really consciously doing this. Uh, so you know we were faced with this question of like, wow, we need to link uh, different accounts. How do we do that? Uh, one solution would be to just use like a traditional database. The other solution is a DID. Um, so we opted to you know put the put the work in and try to develop like a standard for at least like a simple way of expressing multiple identities on chain. Um, and I'm really excited about it. To be honest, I don't really know whether it will like hit adoption or whether it will work well, it's subject to change. Um, but yeah, really excited about it. Uh, had some breakthroughs in the past couple of days regarding like looking up the DID and such. Uh, so I don't really know where it will go, but I think just kind of like Henry Ford, you have to start somewhere. Um, and so we're trying to start, you know, in the simplest way possible and then extend it in the future um, and really have that mindset of, you know, always build for the future. Um, 
with the metadata, with the DIDs, you know, trying to think about how we upgrade it in the future, how we open it up and, you know, have the data be fully public uh, and just like extensible. It seems to me that it requires a particular type of courage to do something and not really full, fully understand the implications or the possibilities or even the direction. How do you manage that for yourself? I mean, do you consider yourself a courageous individual in this regard that you just, you're going to go out and you're going to create DIDs and you don't know exactly what it's going to be like. However, here's the spec and here's the intention and we're going to adapt and learn and research and, you know, put it into use. How do you orient yourself in kind of doing the unknown? Creating wow. the um, unknown, if you will. <laughs> wow. Um, to answer your question, I mean, I, I don't really think of myself as being like courageous. I'm honestly, you know, I was a little hesitant doing this podcast. It's actually my first podcast ever. Um, I typically don't really like to talk about myself. Uh, I kind of like this like humility and I, I kind of want to maintain that. Um, I, I hope that seems authentic. I don't want to come off, come off as like fake humble. Um, I, I don't really know what I'm doing, to be honest. Like we're doing our best. And I think that's all we can do is just try. Uh, just try really hard to, to, you know, do something. And I think the mission for us just like, it means a lot uh, to me personally, to my co-founders. And I think to the world, it just means a lot. So like, regardless of what we're doing right now, uh, being the right way, I don't, I don't know if it's the right way, but we have to try. Um, and I think that's kind of what helps like on those dark days when things are really hard and, you know, things aren't going well, or, you know, over the past couple of days, I've like been forcing myself to code. Uh, just because I'm tired and, you know, I'm working a lot and sometimes, you know, you just don't want to code, but I've just been like forcing it. Um, but like what's kind of amazing in that process is through like trying and trying and trying and trying, you can find like moments of curiosity and like inspiration um, in everything and just kind of tapping into that, like, you know, looking really deeply at something and trying to solve it, you kind of unfold like new problems uh, that come to mind or come to the surface. Like the further you go, there's always going to be like another problem, another problem. Um, but it's really interesting. Like if you put the, the effort into like looking deeply, um, there's always something that's like super interesting. Uh, so I guess like in my case, it's not so much like uh, I'm really confident in what we're doing. It's just like, I know that we have to try. Um, and I'll just keep trying and trying and trying and trying until we do. Well, I, I very much so respect that response. And by no means did I mean to put the word uh, courageous uh, in a place that maybe is inappropriate from your own perspective. So I, I very much so respect uh, your your intention and, and your focus um, on on the view, viewpoint of yourself and, and the verbiage even that um, maybe used to, to describe yourself. Um, I'm also sensitive to that. So I, I fully, fully get that. So it sounds like it's really a, a mix of curiosity, this sense of meaning and purpose and being inspired. And those things lead to things that can become great and who knows what they'll become. And, um, does that seem relatively appropriate as far as, I guess, more of your philosophical approach to life yeah to totally um yeah sorry I, I didn't mean the tangent on like uh on that i'm just i'm relatively new to like being kind of more open online uh maybe you resonate with that as well like i've actually 
you spend a lot of my time like studying and watching um, from the outside. And this is kind of my first foray into like being a little bit more public about what I'm thinking about and what I'm doing. Um, and that's, I don't know, it's like been an interesting experience just personally. Like, I feel like I've grown a lot, but it's also like bringing to surface uh, all of these different aspects of like, how public should I be? And you know, should I filter myself? Should I not? Um, I'm kind of like leaning towards the mindset that I shouldn't necessarily filter myself, but it's a balancing act. Um, I'm really curious to hear like what your experience has been like, how you like, I don't know. I, I know that you mentioned wanting to be anonymous um, in this interview. So I'm curious to see like, or curious to hear about your experience of like, you know, creating content, but also remaining anonymous and how you kind of approach balancing the two. Yeah, I appreciate the question. Uh, and I think it's a it's a question that many of us and I imagine uh, many of the listeners uh, ponder um, with quote unquote Web3 and identity and, and all of these topics. For myself as an individual, I my interest is that it's not really about me. So I actually resonate very much with I think the sentiment in which you shared um, just a moment ago, and that's kind of the approach that I've been leading with is it's it's about something much larger than myself. So I'm kind of, I don't know if I'm removing myself, I'm just adding a layer of abstraction so there isn't uh, an overemphasis on a character and that the emphasis is more on the subject matter. And um, it's something that I just view in, you know, popular culture or just kind of around town of possibly an overemphasis on, on ego. And, um, and so I question that. And frankly, I'm experimenting with that. I don't know exactly, you know, how I'll manage uh, this type of interplay between public and private and somewhere in between and what that means to me and and so on um for the the time being i'm just kind of yeah i think i'm observing and i'm experiencing and i'm checking in and and i'm saying hey this feels good or hmm i think maybe i need to change that approach a little bit um so so that's that's kind of that's how i'm approaching it uh currently and it's an ongoing process and i think the the notion of dids and these avatars and all of these, you know, components, these works of art that we can identify ourselves through um, are really interesting layers that can, for some individuals, peel back to the core to, to, to enable an individual to kind of remove the body, remove the imagery and to focus on this internal being. And I feel like we're at a moment in time where it's mostly about our brains. <laughs> it's mostly about our minds. I mean, of course, our bodies are incredibly important and, and, and so on. Um, I'm not going to necessarily go into that right now. It's just I feel like we're, we're actually getting towards this place of resonance. And I think that in Web3, there's you know, in Web2, there's social networks and there are social networks that are based on very particular, with all due respect, egocentric um, imagery. And with Web3, there's this layer of ab abstraction and this kind of curious, uh, ambigu am ambiguous 
pattern of display that identity is is changing. And for some individuals, it can open up a lot of opportunity for fundamental expression. And I think that fundamental expression is incredibly, incredibly important for humanity and for Earth at large so we can get to the core. And so um, for myself, for the time being, and again, totally up to adapt, I'm just kind of, you know, just taking a little step back, um, which I think helps me express myself more thoroughly. Wow, I love that take. Um, yeah, I'm kind of speechless. That's a really beautiful, uh, like, yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, in a way, being anonymous or forming your identity online unlocks this, like, crazy potential to kind of reduce the barriers of being yourself a little bit. Um, and I think that's really powerful. I, I'm not sure if it, that's exactly what you're hinting at, but just personally, I've kind of experienced that a little bit. Like, if you go anon, uh, you can kind of, like, yeah, just express yourself truly without like worrying about the implications obviously like that can take a, a more negative turn in, in certain cases but i think net like overall net uh result is positive you know allowing people to express more freely without the stress or anxiety um associated with taking like linking it directly to your like real life identity um i'm really curious to see like how the space will develop and whether yeah i don't know I, i'm i'm like super conscious of moderation and and like egregious content especially you know a video platform like that happens all the time like we kind of expect it to be honest like you know really egregious content so how do we go about like moderating um and you know dealing with these kind of poignant questions of you know what is allowed and what isn't um I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. I kind of segued away, but, uh, no, that's totally yeah. fine. That's totally fine. I, I appreciate the thoughts and, uh, a tangent is, is not a tangent. It's just another path. So, uh, that's, that's what I think at least. Um, one thing to note, I think just as far as this particular area, um, or this topic, I do think that, and I guess I'm speaking on my own behalf that it can be a launch pad of finding one's experience expression. I think that this this removal of, you know, obvious identity or whatever you want to call it, um, or this reduction or this modification can provide a platform to enable individuals to express themselves like they haven't before. And that may lead an individual to say, hey, guess what? I, I'm I'm no longer anonymous. I'm here. And I needed to go through this process. Um, so that that's another thing I think that's really, really powerful with what's going on in, uh, in you know, what, crypto Twitter and, and anything else is that there's this, for some individuals, there's this kind of building up of, wow, like I can express myself and, and you know, <laughs> and someone responds or someone resonates with that, like, wow. And, and, and that can be really nice to propel more of that. Um, to get to this kernel, which I think is so important of, of real rich expression. Um, so that's, that's nice to see. And in regards to expression and, and coming back to, to glass in particular, um, 
there are a lot of developments, uh, a lot of things that you share that are underway and uh, and and being released. One of which is like the mirror embeds. Can you speak to that a little bit as far as like distribution? We touched on it previously as far as distributing content via Web2 as kind of the pathway now. There are now some areas where distribution actually can exist on a Web3 platform like Mirror. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's kind of like coming back to this idea of expression, but taking it in a slightly different direction. I think a lot of people like especially the creators we work with, they, they want the videos on their website. Like they want to be able to actually ex like control and express how you consume the content that they're creating. Um, and that's kind of where the inspiration came from, to be honest, it was like a day of work. Uh, and we were just like, yo, we should totally do this. Cause one of our creators was like, yo, can I put this on the website? Um, and that's, that was the motive basically just like wanting to allow them to, kind of share the video in their own way, like structure the website in such a way that it, you know, fits with who they are and what they're trying to convey. Um, and it just happened that it worked really well with Mir as well. Um, and as you said, it's, you know, a great distribution model. If you look at like Medium, for instance, they have YouTube embeds. Um, and I think Mir is kind of really in a great position to completely kill Medium, at least in the, the Web3 context. Uh, so we're just trying to like support those people that want to, you know, express uh, themselves, not only visually, but also through writing um, and kind of allowing them to like add a separate narrative or build their story around the pieces of content that they're sharing. Um, so it's, yeah, just kind of like allowing people to share their content in the way that they want to share it. Yeah, it makes sense. So I just want to wrap up um, first. Just want to say thank you uh, for for being on the Permweb Pioneers. Uh, I know that here and there you have mentioned on your Twitter that this type of experience is uh, a bit new for you, that you've been exploring it. And uh, I very much so appreciate you sharing your thoughts uh, in this type of forum, if you will. So uh, firstly, thank you. And um, I'd, I'd just like to kind of wrap the podcast up Um with, you know, this is a obviously an are we focused podcast, um, considering the permweb component. We touched on it previously. I mean, I guess we don't need to go into why are we've maybe if you're up for it, can you share a little bit about, I don't know, some tips or something like that for maybe there's another developer out there or an individual that's looking to express themselves through are we've do you have any I don't know, tips or suggestions as far as entering into the Arweave ecosystem or integrating Arweave into any given project? Yeah, totally. Um, well, off the, brat, off the bat, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'm happy to help as much as possible uh, with like the specifics. If you have any problems, uh, just let me know. But regarding like getting into it, I think a really big turning point for me was uh, actually pushing something to Arweave. Um, I think if you're like curious about Arweave and you haven't tried it, just simply the act of like uploading something to Arweave, uh, start there. Because I, I don't know about like other developers, but for me personally, um, we uploaded something to Arweave and we saw that it worked and it was just like mind blowing. So just that simple act of, of literally just pushing some data to the permaweb, um, it also just feels really special. Like just this 
mindset of like permanence and that you're not really like running the servers or, you know, dealing with like pinning the content. Um, so my advice to new developers in the space, just like push something, um, upload like a doc or a hello world or uh, better yet, you know, an image or something like that. Um, that experience, I don't know, it felt really special when I did it um, and it really inspired me. So I hope that it has the same for you. Um, and I just want to, guess, conclude by saying thank you. Uh, this is my first podcast. Um, and you asked, like, amazing questions. And just, like, the thought that you put into uh, looking into glass it means so much. Uh, we really, like, yeah, we work really hard. And so seeing that you cared so much uh, means a lot. So, yeah, thank you very much. Um, and to the listeners as well. Thanks for listening. All right. Well, uh, much appreciated. And for our listeners, uh, check out Glass, that's G-L-A-S-S dot X-Y-Z. And from there, you can check out the Discord, which is active and growing. And there's a lot of cool things happening in there. So do stop by. You can also follow on Twitter. And Sam, are, how about your uh, your Twitter? Oh, my, uh, my Twitter is Sam underscore sends, like sends a letter. All right. So yeah, definitely be in touch. Um, and for those developers that are that are starting out with Arweave or exploring the ecosystem, sounds like Sam's up for uh, a message here and there to uh, get you started or just point you in the direction uh, that you need to go or whatever. Um, so thank you all for listening. And that is a wrap of this episode featuring Sam Sens of Glass Protocol. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of PermaWeb Pioneers, a podcast focused on growing awareness of Arweave and the PermaWeb. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Otherwise, share this episode with friends and family and whoever else you think may find it useful and interesting. Thank you for being a part of our community of pioneering long-term thinkers securing the present and future of data.